Welcome back to season two of the Leading Second podcast. Today we have a special live episode for you coming to you straight from Manila in the Philippines. So excited for this. Here we go. This is the Leading Second podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Well, today I'm joined, uh, first of all, by one of our good friends here at Leading Second, Pastor Joshua Bingle. You're back. Glad to be back, baby. You're just going to be a fixture, I yeah. think. Uh, I'm Ed McMahon. <laughs> we love it. Hey, we've, we've had a fun time the past uh, few days. Uh, we've been here in, in um, Manila and on the island of Mindanao here in the Philippines with One Child Matters, getting to see some amazing work. What have you thought about this last week? I've just been blown away and inspired. Um, we're going to talk about some of it here today, but just excellence and dedication. And it's, it's been a great week. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. been fun to travel with you. And uh, I'm so excited to bring to you today a conversation with uh, James Grout with One Child Matters, the kind of the lead of this trip and a new friend of Leading Second. So, um, and so excited you're here today for this episode. Before we get into our interview today, I wanted to share with you a very special I Am Leading Second story from a member of our team on this trip, actually, Brandon Whiting from the Heights Church in Richmond, Virginia. He has sat down with me on the trip and shared his I Am Leading Second story. Let's check this out. Right, so I'm sitting here with my new friend, the man, the myth, uh, the legend, Brandon Whiting from the Heights Church. Say what's up to everybody. Hey, what's up, guys? How's everybody doing? Hey, man, it's been so good to um, hang with you this week yeah, in in um, the Philippines. How are you enjoying the trip? Loving it. A uh, little jet lag, but we're getting there. <laughs> so, it's, so it's been a blast. Um, we've been here with One Child Matters on the ground, uh, just seeing the Hope Centers, just seeing the love for the kids that One Child Matters has, um, and just the relationship with the church. That's right. So, And you're here with your pastor. Yes, uh, Pastor Josh Whitlow. Uh, we're from Heights Church in uh, Richmond, Virginia. That's right. And it's been so good meeting you guys. And I love I love your relationship. I love, I love seeing uh, the two of you in action. You know, you're, you're the only pair of, you know, a combo of a pastor and, and, you know, executive pastor on this trip. So it's been really cool for me to see you guys in action. So I guess this is an I Am Leading Second story. So um, tell us your heart. Why do you lead from the second chair? Yeah, so I believe that, um, that leaders are only called to two things. I believe that leaders are either called to a place or they're called to a person. And um, two years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were called to uh, Pastor Josh and his wife, Crystal. Um, like I said, Heights Church. Um, it's just been an amazing time since then. We've been able to serve them, uh, learn from them, grow with them. Uh, they're not only our best friends, um, they're our pastors, they're our bosses, and we've just had the most unbelievable time. Them just teaching us ministry, both uh, come from non-ministry backgrounds, my wife and I, um, and we've just, we've just been able to grow our relationship, not only with them, but with God, and they've just, they've really just opened up doors that, that we never thought were possible. What's the number one thing you've learned by having to lead from the second chair, which can also mean having to defer, having to, you know, honor if you, do, you don't even understand, you know, those kind of things. What's the number one thing you've learned in those moments? Yeah. I would have to say um, just listening and taking in the moment. Um, 
kind of when you're like the number two in an organization, sometimes you're put into a room uh, with lots of pastors and, and, you know, just people that have been doing it for a long time. So not just getting so distracted in conversations, but just really just taking that in and just learning um, from your pastor and, and all the pastors around you, just kind of how they communicate and um, just kind of like that kind of flow that they're in. So it's been unbelievable. This is just a big open-ended question, but we'll end here. What is something you would say to someone listening right now who's serving someone else? They're, they're not leading their own thing. They're deferring to someone else. What would you say to that person listening right now? Yeah. So just because you're not a uh, lead pastor doesn't mean that you're not making a difference. Um, you can still be confident and, uh, and, and make a difference in your organization. You're going to be leading multiple, multiple people at different levels. Um, and you have to be your pastor when your pastor's not in the room. That's a, that's a very, very number one key. So good. So good. Well, it's been so good to meet you, man. Yeah. I love what you guys are doing. Love your church. And um, can't wait to hang again. Yeah, dude. Love you. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a long, long-lasting relationship forever, dude. Love you. If you have a story you'd like to hear us feature on the podcast, or if you have a question that you'd like to hear us lean into, um, I'd encourage you to join the Leading Second Forum on Facebook or reach out to us on leadingsecond.com. We'd love to feature you on an upcoming episode. All right, so for our interview time today, I'm excited to welcome to the Leading Second podcast, James Grout from One Child Matters. Say what's up to everybody uh, today, James. How you doing, everybody? So glad to be here. Man, we've had some fun this week. We have. It's been uh, crazy and fun and long days and short nights <laughs> and jet lag, and it's been good. Yeah, it's, it's, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and see the really amazing work that One Child Matters is doing here in the Philippines. I, I've been before, but not in this context of seeing this kind of work, and um, I'm just blown away at, at what your organization is doing, what you're beginning to do. Um, what's your experience been like this week? Yeah, you seen the work here. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool and unique for me. I've been here before, but we're doing so many new things here in the Philippines right now. Uh, I got to see new uh, ministries and new partners and meet new people, and so it's it feels really fresh for me as well. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here today. And uh, before we talk anything serious on the podcast, I do like to ask everyone we interview um, some really life-changing questions uh, that take us behind the veil of your life as a leader. So here we go. This is going to change someone's life. Um, my first question for you today, what time do you get up in the morning? Are you a um, early riser or a night owl? Um, I get up at 7 a.m., so that's probably not an early riser in most nope. people's world. Nope. Um, I love to stay up late, and um, I'm, I'm usually getting up around 7 because i got to get my girls to school in the morning, and that's about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, when you're driving through Starbucks or going to a coffee shop, what's your coffee order? I like a short Americano with a little bit of traveling room. <laughs> Fitting. Fitting. I love that. Uh, are you Apple or PC? I am Apple, um, but I honestly don't understand the cloud, so I'm not sure why I'm Apple. <laughs> Amazingly, we've had some education on this trip about things. Um, what's your favorite thing to do on your days off? I, I mean, the answer, honestly, is nothing. I love That's to do enough. nothing. I love to sit and stare straight ahead. <laughs> Remind me not to spend my days off with you. <laughs> 
Um, I, I guess for the person that goes all over the world, that's that's fair. That's fair. We'll say that. Um, last thing. What is something interesting about you that very few people might know about you? Well, um, I went to Bible college, uh, which a lot of people would know that about me. But what they don't know is that when I was in Bible college, I worked for a guy part time and uh, I stole a car from him. Uh, because he wouldn't give me a ride home from the work site, and I never gave it back. It was it was just a stolen car. And I passed it on to somebody else when I was done with it. More detail. We're just gonna leave that right there. <laughs> that's, that's probably gonna be one of the better answers, Josh. I think we ever oh, get yeah. to that oh, yeah. uh, that question. All right. Well, so today, uh, James, I just wanted to have a conversation with you. Um, about the work that that you've had the opportunity to do, you know, I mean, over the last several years of your life um, with missions work. And I want to talk about its role in the church and its role in our lives as leaders and young leaders. And and um, I think hope people have some perspective, hope some leaders that are listening today have some perspective about what God is calling us to do in this very vital area of our lives of you know, when it comes to evangelism and living on mission. Um, first of all, though, tell us a little bit about uh, One Child Matters and your role on the team. Okay, so One Child Matters is a global uh, child development organization. And it's probably even better to say we're um, a community development organization because yeah, we don't just do development with children. We, it transforms communities. We're in about 14 of the poorest countries around the world. And um, our primary source of child development, um, the resource behind child development is child sponsorship, one-to-one -one child sponsorship. I love it. And we've, we've been here in the Philippines to some very, very impoverished areas, um, quite diverse from the mountains to the sea. And um, man, it, it's, it's been heartbreaking, but yet inspiring to see the, the work that's emerging, you know, and breaking through the surface. Um, before we get into it, tell us your craziest mission field story that you have. You've got to have something on that. I have many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, before I did this, I was a youth pastor and a teaching pastor at a church in uh, the suburbs of Chicago for 20 years and led about 30 short-term mission trips in that time. So I have a ton of stories, but the one that always stands out to me as the craziest one was we, uh, I, I almost got into a street fight in the Czech Republic at a bus stop because one of the people on my team didn't want to give up his spot in line, even though someone had like cut in front of him in line. And I actually had to step in between a couple of guys and settle everything down. Oh, and I thought I was going to be the one getting punched. Um, and uh, my students had never seen me angry before that day. And they got to see a little bit of anger come flying <laughs> out of me. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine the stories you probably have. That's amazing. So, um, Answer this first question, I guess, first of all today. Um, who's called the missions work? I mean, why, why, should, why should someone not you know, turn off this podcast right now? And why should they keep listening to, I guess, what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, I guess if, if uh, your temptation was to turn off the podcast because it has the word mission in it or the word missions in it, um, that would be a little bit short-sighted on your part because we are all on mission. Right. Uh, there isn't any one of us that isn't on mission. And I think sometimes we use the word missions to describe global 
overseas missions, maybe even we in our minds we think full-time, commit your whole life. Um, as they used to say, pack all your belongings in the coffin that you'll come home in when you leave to go somewhere. So I think it's, I think it's erroneous to think about missions that way because there is so much more um, that we can be involved in when we consider ourselves to be on mission with God everywhere we go, every moment of every day. Yeah, very well said. And I think that's the first area we, we wanted to lean into today in this conversation is we want to talk to young leaders and a generation who I think our generation is marked by having global things in our heart. You know, we we have big aspirations for wanting to change the world. We um, we buy products, eyeglasses, free pair of shoes to someone overseas. I mean, that's just kind of wired into our DNA. Um but I guess my premise on this is always you, you, you reach the world by having a local heart, you know, wherever you're at. And, and that, you know, we all live in Washington State and building the church and developing communities in Washington State and Manila, are, we're, we're both building the kingdom of God and we're, we're on mission, whether, whether we're overseas or at home. So I guess I'd love to just hear you lean into that for a minute today on missions through the context of the local church and why it's so important that we get that right in, in, our, in our hearts and in our minds. Yeah, well, I used to tell our, our students when we were getting ready to go on a short-term mission trip, um, I think in their minds, this was sort of like the ultimate end of Christian discipleship. I'm going on a mission trip now. I've, right. I've really arrived. And I used to tell them, I don't even want to take you on a mission trip if you can't turn to the students sitting next to you in your biology class and have a conversation about your faith with that friend, if you don't see yourself as a person on mission in your school, in your neighborhood, in your own home, um, if then trying to imagine that you would have this huge impact around the world uh, doesn't, those two things don't add up to me. If you can't see yourself on mission with God wherever you are, why would you think that you would all of a sudden become a really excellent missionary somewhere else? And I think that's, again, that's dispelling a bit of uh, a misnomer about what missions is or what a mission, a missional person is. What I knew about you all and, and then what I've come to experience this week is that you have a heart for the local church. And obviously I, I've met you all through the context of different church gatherings and conferences in the U.S., but seeing you here, you're working directly with local churches here. And of course, you know, your, your aim is community development and with, with child development, but you're doing it through the context of the church. Why, why is that important for us to get right? Yeah, so I, I would call us a, um, a child-focused organization. The, the child experience matters so much to us, but I would also call us a church-centric yeah. organization. It's church to church. The church is the hope of the world and um, the, the more that we can connect churches in North America with churches around the world, the stronger our organization is going to be uh, because the church is where the, the depth of relationship happens, it's where true transformation happens. It, it's not just because there's money coming to a, um, a child development program that transformation takes place, it takes place when those children encounter the love of God through the church and then hear the story of Jesus from the people who run our hope centers. And there's a time and a place for us to take a short-term trip 
But us popping up shops somewhere for seven days is not going to transform a community like an empowered local body of believers in that area. You know that 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 is resourced and and trained, uh, you know, to be on the ground for a long time. Correct. Yes. The I I often say the only thing that should be short term about a mission trip is the number of days that you spend in the country. Wow. If everything else about your mission trip doesn't have a long term relationship aspect to it, if you're not connecting with national church, local leaders, ministry that's happening, ongoing ministry on the ground, if you're not doing that when you're on a short term mission trip, then you might be doing a one and done mission trip, and that's. Uh, Primarily, that's ineffective. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair to say, and I, I, I think that forever at Leading Second, the drum we're going to beat with this conversation is that everything is more effective when it's done through the context of the local church. That that is that is the vehicle. That that Jesus' heart is in his church. He is building his church. He is using his church, and. Um, even when it comes to a leader listening, when you know they feel God calling them to do anything in ministry, it's always more effective. It, it, its proper place is not just wandering out there by itself, but its proper place is planted in the house of the Lord. And um, that is the place where our ministry desires flourish, is out of the, I guess, the right planting, you know, in, in God's house. James, what would you say to like a youth pastor who's listening to this right now or a small group pastor or whatever, somebody who's um, wanting to take people from their church out on a short-term mission trip? I mean, how do you go about doing that? You, you spin the globe, you point on a map or like, like talk to us about that for a second. Yeah. So my very first experience with a short-term mission trip was, uh, was not a very good one. Uh, it was good in that I learned so much from that experience, what not to do going forward. But, um, that very first experience was, uh, I didn't know what to do. I'd never, I'd never even heard of a short-term mission trip when I was told I needed to go on one. And so I contacted an agency that specialized in short-term mission trips and they sent us to a country to help build a house for a very poor family living in a garbage dump. And we went, a team of 10 of us went down there and did it. And then after we came back, I wanted to know how did the house hold up when the, when the rainy season came and the flooding that would normally go through that area? Like, did the house hold up? Did, was the family okay? And I couldn't find a missionary. I couldn't find a pastor. I realized I hadn't even built a relationship with anyone on the ground other than some interns that drove us around in vans the entire week that we were there. And I just realized... Um, that was not going to be sufficient when it came to the long-term impact of a short-term mission trip. We needed to be able to find long-term partnerships. So I, number one, look for a long-term partner. Look for someone who's already in the field. They're already on the ground doing ministry there. They're connected to the local church. They're doing church ministry in those poor communities or whatever communities. They don't even have to be poor communities. And, um, and partner somewhere and commit to it. Commit to going back. We went, to, uh, we went to do English camps with teenagers in the Czech Republic for 15 years in a row. Same church, same group, um, and we, we, we were committed. We were all in there. So I, that, that's one of the main ways that you make a longer-term impact. You make sure that the dollars you raise, which are a lot, uh, are effectively um, having kingdom impact in the long term. Which I guess would lead us to an important point on this conversation is that 
if you're a young leader and you have it in your heart to want to take a group of students or a group of people on a trip or you want to go yourself, it's vital that it matches the heart of your pastor and, and, and that it matches the vision of your house. In other words, just doing a one and done thing somewhere that, that's not connected to your church and your house um, will be far less effective. I mean, actually, you emailed me a couple months ago and invited me on this trip to the Philippines. To you, is probably fairly random. But what you didn't know about me and why it was an easy yes for me is that my church has been coming here for decades. And I was just here 18 months ago with my pastor. And he's he's been here many times. And so actually me being here, it's a different context. With me being here, my, my church has skin in the game in this nation. And so me being here is just another expression of what I know is already in my pastor's heart to do. Um, can you maybe lean into that? Of just, of just a young leader linking up with their pastor and not going it alone when it comes to the, maybe the, the global vision God's putting in their heart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I never wanted to do anything that would, um, I don't know, catch my senior pastor off guard. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, we're, oh, we decided we're not going back to that place anymore. We're going to go over here because we, we haven't seen this country. We thought it'd be fun to go there. Right. Yeah. I never wanted to do anything like that, that, uh, that might undermine, uh, his vision or his authority. And I always wanted to make sure that the things we were doing were, were in line with our church's mission as well as, uh, the partner's mission. So we were, we were really sort of a bridge between our church and another church somewhere else around the world with our short-term mission trips. That's so good. James, you spent, um, you said 20 years, I I believe you said, in the second chair, which is incredible, I might add, by the way. Um, What do you know now about missions work, having been working for a missions organization? What do you know now that you wish you would have known then um, when you were leading in the second chair there? Yeah, that's a good question. It's an important, my answer is pretty important and significant in my own, um, my own journey. And one of the things that I discovered uh, several years in, way too late, uh, was that I really believed that the youth ministry that I was in charge of was a separate entity from our church. I really treated it that way. And kind of in the era that I was doing that, almost everybody did. We sort of created silos for different age ministries, and that's just kind of the way it was. And I realized too late, um, but not too late to to change. We changed, but um, I just regret some of the years where I didn't invest more deeply in parents and more deeply in the entire congregation being together. And so almost all of our short-term trips were student-oriented, student-led. They were uh, it was they were student trips they were for teenagers I wish that I had included all of the generations in those trips because think about the kind of a community building that happens on a short-term mission trip yep. and if you exclude a huge chunk of your community from that opportunity you you really miss out on what could be one of the most beautiful uh, church building things that you could do for your community and for the people in your church and for the parents and for the students. It would have been better for our students had we not done it so exclusively off to the side. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. This week, um, we saw excellence in action, I feel. You know, we, we went to several places, some of which you're even still considering if you're going to even 
you know, partner there. But we went to a couple a couple spots where you have or are going to partner, and I feel like we saw excellence in action even with a lack of resources. And it was fascinating to me that you don't have to have every dollar you need to still have an excellent spirit. Yeah. The word says of Daniel that he had an excellent spirit. And I guess what has impressed you the most about working with groups over the years that maybe didn't have all the resources? You know, that's, that's why you're working with them is they need resources, but how have they managed to still lead with excellence and how, how can a, a youth pastor or a young pastor listening that maybe doesn't have the budgeting needs or the, you know, the leaders he needs, you can still lead with an excellent spirit regardless of what you, what you have available to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I could say a, I, I could say so many things about that. One of them is um, there was a time where I was working with a really large budget, and it seemed that, like things were easy because we had a large budget and we could yeah. do what we needed to do. There was also a time when the budget got cut and cut and cut until it <laughs> felt like there was nothing we had that we could do, and and excellence. If if excellence depends on financial resources there's something missing in your heart. <laughs> if, if you can only pull off excellence because you're able to buy all the stuff that you need, that, that's a heart condition. And uh, what, what we've seen this week, what you were describing, what we've seen this week is that the, the people here have a heart for, they don't want to do anything halfway. They don't want to do anything uh, without giving it their all and, and um, pleasing God as, as well as they can with what they've done. And so I think what you see when you see excellence with the lack of financial resources, you see people who are just chasing hard after God. They, they want to do the best that they can do for God. And they also know that what they do is representative of God to the people around them watching. When they see, when they see really committed, faithful, um, uh, careful leadership, they understand that's this is different. This is different than the leadership I see in the world sometimes, or whatever it is. You know, we were we were at a, a training center, you know, in in the mountains, and um, saw children who don't have much, but they took care of what they had. They the, the clothes were neat, their beds were neat, the kitchen was immaculate. You know, and so they, they didn't have much, but but you just see the leadership coming out of this yeah. this little training center in in a village. And it was remarkable to me. I'm I'm going home changed from from seeing that very very challenged. I guess. Um, let me start landing the plane, I guess, and ask you this: Why does child sponsorship work? You know, when it comes to someone who wants to make a difference in another community, uh, possibly somewhere else in the world. Um, and, and why should a church consider um, committing to an ongoing project you know, through child development, uh, child sponsorship? Yeah, this goes back to that um, long-term partnership idea that I talked about earlier. Being connected to a community through child sponsorship, one-to-one -one child sponsorship, creates a long-term relationship. So even if you go on a trip, which you can do, to go to meet your children that you're sponsoring, uh, that's not the end-all be-all of that relationship right. that you got to go on a trip and meet them. The, the real goal is the ongoing connection with that ministry, the ongoing support for that child to stay in that development program, stay connected to that Hope Center and the church that the Hope Center is connected to. 
So that's uh, that's the that's the long term goal for what we're doing. But child sponsorship works in large part because people care about this one child that they're connected to. When one sponsor is connected to one child, that that creates a relationship that that child would never ever have had the opportunity to have before. So it, cr- it creates all kinds of uh, development opportunities for that child, better education, better health care, uh, yeah, hope, intangible things like hope all of a sudden starts to rise in the heart of a child living in abject poverty. Um, it's all of those things uh, come out of the, ch- the child sponsorship program, but the relationship with the sponsor uh, really creates an opportunity for that child to feel and know that they are important and special and loved. You told us uh, a story, um, and it's not just anecdotal evidence. There's tons of stories like this, but you told us a story last night about um, someone who actually ended up in the music industry from, and I mean, that was a cool story. Can you, can you share that story? Yeah, so occasionally uh, we hear a story or we come across somebody who says, oh, I, I was a child who was sponsored in one of your Hope Centers, wherever, you know, wherever it was, in India or wherever it was. There's a pretty well-known tour manager in the music industry in Nashville who, when he heard who we were, said, I, I was a sponsored child. And wow. we actually had the opportunity to help him go and meet his sponsored parents. He'd never met them before, the people who sponsored him all those years. And he could clearly explain to them, no, I, I am where I am today because of what you did. You, you helped make this possible with your, with your sponsorship dollars, but also with your love and prayers and letters that you wrote to me. And um, that's, there's, no, there's no price you can put on that. No, 100%. 100%. Well, James, um, thank you for what you do for, um, to, for children and communities all over the world. Um, I think Josh and I would, I think we both agree we're going home this week just with a very, very fresh perspective of, of why this matters. And um, it's, thank you for the long flights and the, you know, times away from your girls. And um, it, it means it means so much to us. It means so much to a lot of people everywhere. Let me ask you one more question. Didn't prep you for it, so just get your gut answer on it. Um, land the plane with this. Why do you love the local church? So what is it about the local church that wakes you up in the morning as a church builder? Well, uh, the word that comes to mind is family. I've grown up in the local church, and the local church has been there for me through my worst. Uh, I'm thinking particularly 16 to 18. Um, uh, they've, uh, the local church has uh, nurtured me, has employed me, has... Um, shown me so much uh, grace and opportunity and and it is where my community has been built for years and years and uh, I love the church although I've seen the underbelly I know that the church isn't perfect and I know that um, I know that the people in the church uh, don't always have everyone's best interest in mind but what I know is we rise above that every time. There is no doubt that this is uh, a living entity unlike any other living entity in the world because it's 
where the Holy Spirit resides in the people of the church. Well, James, we love you. It's so great to count you a new friend to us and to Leading Second um, after this trip. Um, it, for any leader or, or pastor listening, if you'd like more information on One Child Matters, I would highly uh, encourage you to check out onechildmatters.org um, and engage. It is, it is an organization that will take your missions, funds, and efforts and put it to good use, good stewardship of your resources, and you'll be able to make a local impact in a very global sense. And I think it'd be a, it'd be, um, a great partnership for any church. Um, so anyways, Leading Second, we love you. So glad you were able to join us here today live from Manila. We're going to sign off now. Uh, but if this podcast has resonated with you, Leading Second, help us out by becoming a podcast ambassador. I want to encourage you to share the podcast with your team, with someone who doesn't know about it yet. Consider leaving a, a rating or a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Also, I'd encourage you to go to leadingsecond.com and check out our newly launched online course, Bring Leading Second Training to Your Church. Uh, we recently released it and it is available to you free of charge for churches and leaders everywhere. So until next time, Leading Second, uh, we love you. We're praying for you. Let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.